This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta and we're doing something a little bit different today. As you probably know, I am super into cooking and food and so is our friend, the incredible drummer Marcus Finney. So since it's something he and I are both so passionate about and since a lot of people are probably doing more cooking these days, we thought it'd be cool to have a conversation about everything we're up to in the kitchen. We cover a lot of ground here from recipes and resources to tools and techniques. So whether you're a cooking novice looking for how to get started or a more practiced hand looking for some new ideas and hacks, there's something in here for you. So we hope you'll check this out. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So here we go. Let's get to all things food with Mr. Marcus Finney. Thank you for doing this, man. I've been I've been checking out your Instagram and like me, your feed is like as much food and cooking as it is drums. Um, yeah. So uh, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad we can do this. I hope people dig it. Um, yeah. To start, like what what got you into cooking? Uh, well, man, when I was young, I loved. I mean, I like I like eating. So. <laughs> Uh, when my aunt is one person, uh, my, my, my aunt Gwen, she's one person who would cook and teach me how to do certain things, even if it was just washing dishes or, um, or just smelling the ingredients and getting to just put my hands on it. Um, and, uh, making something as simple as chicken noodle soup from a can, but like being fascinated with all of the spices, mm-hmm. like putting red crushed pepper and cayenne and lemon pepper and all this stuff that really you shouldn't do. But it was my exploratory thing, you know, for me to um, get into different spices. Um, and I think the springboard, the final springboard was in college when the Food Network came on, when it became popularized with Emeril Lagasse and Rachel yep. Ray people like that, uh, that was kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool. This is fun. And also a big piece of it is when I would travel overseas, um, the first time I went overseas was, uh, I think I was, how old was I? 15, 16. I think I was 15 or 16 years old when I went to Italy and we were there for about almost two weeks and it was with the Memphis Youth Symphony and we ate all of this different food over there because they had special um, prepared food for you each right, night. Right. And, and so getting to taste authentic Italian food at a young age was kind of like, oh man, this is, this is really good. And the sauce was all like fresh tasting and tasting basil for the first time. <laughs> So that just kind of like, I think, got me going. And like I said, when I hit college, watching these different 
networks and seeing like, okay, this is not completely, this is not out of reach. Right. It can be, it's just a matter of like following directions. Yep. I mean, and, and, and like tasting it, if it tastes good, then you're fine. Right. There's definitely, there's definitely a big part of cooking is technique. Um, but technique, just like drums, it evolves over time. And, you know, I've been playing long, way longer than I've been cooking, but, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube. Yep. And, yep. But that's, that's how I got, that's initially how I got into it from a young age with my aunt going to Italy. Yeah. And, that's, that's really interesting. Cause it, we, we had like sort of very similar experiences in that regard. Like my, my gateway into it was also Italian food. Cause I am half Italian and you're, you're a, a couple years older than me, but I was also like in college at the time that the food network, um, you know, sort of gained traction. And, yeah. uh, like my junior year in college was the first year that I had my own apartment. I lived alone. I was living on student loans. I could afford any ingredients I wanted uh, <laughs> and, and just really got it going uh, at that time. Gained like 65 pounds also. But <laughs> um, yeah, I went in hard. Um, so did you ever uh, like think about pursuing it as a career? Did you ever work in a kitchen? Never worked in, never worked in a kitchen. Um, I had considered a couple times like doing the whole restaurant thing. Mm -hmm. But I think what shied me away from that is like, Oh man, I could be doing music. Like I was so myopic in my view and not looking at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Um, because I didn't want, I didn't want to make myself believe that starting a restaurant means putting down music. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, and a lot of times certain people like myself, it's hard for us to like partition the two, yep. even though they're the same person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so like I've, I've, I considered, and I wrote this down a while ago. Uh, I still, <laughs> it's still kind of on my list, but I wrote down a while ago, you know, ideas of opening a restaurant um, uh, with, with it being a small place, only seating maybe 50 people at the most. Yeah. Um, maybe even smaller and it being kind of, I don't want to say exclusive membership, but it's, it's gonna, it would be a thing where we only, our menus are seasonal mm -hmm. and you only have like basically three entrees to pick from. Each right. Season. I love, I love restaurants like that, that don't try yeah. to do everything. They do a few things really well. Like yeah. they stay in a lane and that lane yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. The funny is like, I should be thinking of music that way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. But, um, but in food, yeah. I, like for me, it's more so uh, keeping up with all of the things that you have inventory, you know? Right. It's like I keep up with all of that stuff. So like I want to have, you know, a chicken, a meat, a chicken, a beef, and like a vegetarian dish, or a chicken, beef, and pork, yeah. or fish, whatever season it is, you know. And same thing with the sides, and basically the menu can f like fit like on your like on your phone almost. Right. Like, you see everything there, 
and even the alcohol being top shelf or paired with the meals. So it's not like you can come in there and just order Jack Daniels. Yeah, yeah. Know? Well, it looks like it looks like this is what you're doing at home. Like, at, you know, your Instagram feed is like, you know, kind of a set of things every night. You plan like a little menu. It's not yeah. just it's not just kind of whatever with a side of whatever. You know, it seems right. it seems quite curated at your house. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, there, I, I use an app. Uh, I'm gonna plug this app. Uh, yeah, we're gonna plug called? we're gonna plug a lot of stuff here because I want people who are into cooking to get more info and i want people who aren't into cooking to have like some gateways sure sure well this app is on uh the iphone it's called paprika three hmm. uh, like the herb or the seasoning paprika um three the number three it's an app where inside of the app you browse recipes using the google browser inside of the app so wow with that, what it does is, and a friend of mine, um, to plug this too, Helen, Dr. Helen Stoddard. She's a nutritionist. She's a doctor. Um, and she bases a lot of her healing off of your diet. And, uh, and so she's a holistic doctor in a way. I, I, I don't know if that's her official title, but she curates all of these recipes that she comes up with that are kind of Caribbean influenced, that are kind of Southern influenced mm -hmm. and incredible dishes that are vegan to help you with diabetes or with high blood pressure and heart disease and things like that. So she turned me on to this app, Paprika 3. And like I said, you search in Google with it and you down and you hit this download. So you can literally be looking at an Epicurious recipe or a Food Network recipe, a Test Kitchen recipe or whatever. You hit download in the bottom right corner and it will organize all of the ingredients of that page's recipe and the directions and put them into a format on the app. Wow. Then you hit save and so now it's in your recipe box. Well, and when it's in your recipe box, you hit okay, I want I want to do this recipe. I need the groceries. Well, at the top of the screen, it has a grocery cart, a calendar, and a couple other tabs up there. You hit the grocery cart, and it'll put everything in the grocery cart, organized by aisle or by type, like dairy, breads, meats, stuff like that. Yeah. And then you can go through that, and you can check off, okay, I already have eggs. I don't need that. I already have milk. I don't need that. And so then you add it to your grocery cart. Then you go find another recipe. And you say you put that recipe on Monday for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or snack. You can organize it that way. And so you make a whole week of all these different things. Now, it takes time to do it because it's meal planning, and it's not an easy thing to do, but it makes your grocery time way shorter. It lessens your frustration. It takes the guesswork out of what am I making tomorrow. Yeah. And, and it allows you... Once you really get into it, you start to do kind of what cruise lines do, which is they'll take last night's dinner and turn it into a breakfast or lunch. Oh, yeah. So, All restaurants do that. Like it's. <laughs> yeah. So so it's like you don't have to waste anything at home and and it makes you a little more creative about that type of stuff. And you save a lot of money. Yeah. At the man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. And so you touched on a couple of reasons that I that, that cooking is so important to me. Um, one is health, and the other is money. Um, and I've I've found that cooking for myself and my wife 
uh, saves us a ton of money and almost no matter what you make, it's almost always healthier than a store-bought thing or something in a restaurant. And we love going out to eat. Like that's one of our favorite things to do, but you can eat really, really well and really healthy for not a lot of money if you just build a couple of skills in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, they have different like one of my favorite one of my favorite shows on YouTube is called Epicurious. I don't know if you've seen this show. I know the Epicurious. Epicurious, but I didn't know they had a YouTube. Yeah, they have a YouTube channel. This YouTube channel to me is I think um it should be it should be way more popular I think than it is. Um because you have you have three different level cooks on the show. All of them are asked to prepare, like, steak. Uh huh. So, each cook gets to pick which, what kind of steak they want to cook, and their skill set is like amateur, home cook, and chef. Yeah. Not a competition. Right. But you see each cook preparing in their stages. Like this is the I use this cut of meat, and they give their reasons why they use whatever and why they do whatever. Some of them don't know what. Usually, the the beginner doesn't know why they are using that particular cut or why they are doing what they're doing. But and it's and it's comical. But I think the point of the show is to teach everybody. Like no matter what level cook you are, you can do. You can start here. Yep. So more of an encouraging type of program. And I mean, I've seen it where, you know, they'll do different egg dishes and um, spaghetti, hamburgers, uh, all kinds of stuff. And and there are times where the home cook to me, I'm like, that's better than even the chef's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff where overthinking it just gets you in trouble again, like music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So it's... um, yeah, it, it, it's a really cool show. So watching stuff like that, if, if viewers or listeners can get to a place where they say, okay, I know I want to cook. I don't want to go out to eat all the time, but where do I start? Mm-hmm. That's a good program, I think, to start. Yeah, It's not overwhelming at all. And again, watch the one that you connect with. Right, right. I mean, that show, and I haven't watched the show in a while because I've been watching more Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, personally, like, he's my, he's my go-to guy right now. Emerald was my go-to guy for a long time, uh-huh. early in my stages. And then I got into um, Wolfgang. I got into, uh, what's my food science guy? Alton Brown. Oh, yeah. Dig him. Dig him. I love um, I got into Mario Batali, Simon, uh, Chef Simon. Yeah. I actually met him. He was at Acme Feed one time, man. Oh, man. I got a You're talking about uh, Michael Simon. Michael Simon, yes, yeah. Chef Michael I, Simon. Make, I make his salsa verde like once a month and just keep it yeah. in the fridge. Like. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Flay. I like Bobby because Bobby has like Bobby has this thing like a Gordon, like uh, like competitive spirit where it's like i'm gonna throw myself in a fire and cook against somebody who i don't know making their dish right knowing i may well lose you know but i appreciate that about him and yeah and both both him and gordon ramsay have this thing where like they kind of play a character on tv you know and and you you may or may not like that character especially in in ramsay's case 
But on, yeah. on other shows, when they're actually educating, like, they know their shit. They are samurai, and you oh can learn God. so much <laughs> from them. Like, if you, if you put the character aside, uh, yeah. you know, don't watch Hell's Kitchen. Watch, no. <laughs> watch you know, Ramsey's cooking course. Like, <laughs> or master, right, master the master class. class. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it's like there's, a, there's all kinds of stuff on, on YouTube now. The Gordon has so many doggone YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he has some content, and the and one, Alton like, Brown, and Alton, yeah, Alton. Like I met him one time at, at Atlanta Airport. Mm. Um, yeah, he lives. Right in front he lives here. Really? Yeah, he lives in Atlanta. All those Good Eats episodes were filmed. In oh, well, you're in Atlanta. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in Nashville. I'm like, wait, he lives in Nashville. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, all uh, those Good Eats episodes are filmed like in his kitchen or his sister's kitchen in Atlanta. Well, he's got another show he's been doing that's similar to Good Eats now because of COVID. Uh, like he made popcorn early on in, you know, in, in uh, quarantine. And he took one of those big metal mixing bowls mm-hmm. and he threw some kernels in there with sugar and finely ground salt. Like that you put like in a coffee grinder or whatever. Yeah. So it's called pop- popcorn salt. He added that in there and added uh, ghee in there. Yeah. And so he and so he takes this foil, covers the whole bowl, pokes holes in it so steam can get out, puts it over the burner. <laughs> and and what he he what he was explaining is that what happens is all the popcorn kernels, they pop up, they go to the side of the bowl and they slide back down. And tr- and like regular pots, it just gets stacked on top of the kernels and never so you have to keep shaking it or whatever. Wow. Sugar ends up burning too. So right. A constant like moving and everything but uh but that was making like kettle corn right man um, that's so good and yeah. in, in terms of like people getting into cooking who aren't necessarily like there, there's so many obstacles to it right there's like like you explained sort of planning what you're gonna cook for the next couple days or for the week takes some time yeah. shopping for all that shit takes some time and then actually <laughs> preparing it takes some time so you know i'm i'm um I'm aware that not everybody has, you know, the luxury that you and I have of like some, some time during the day every week to plan this out. But, um, I am like fully supportive of people doing that blue apron thing. Um, there's good recipes there. There's good ingredients. And it's really a step-by-step of like kind of what you were talking about with the, um, the Epicurious channel. Um, that blue apron stuff is like, I would say an amateur to home cook, sort of middle ground yeah. um, that can really talk you through stuff. And then if you do a few of those, you're like, okay, I can do a few things. Let me look up a recipe and, and see what else I can get into. Right, 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 right. That, I mean, that's it. That's how it's, it's a gateway like you and I both had when we were younger. Yeah, yeah. And once you, because let me tell you, man, once you cook something that you like, yep. you're motivated. You're what? You're, motiv- you're motivated. Yes, you're highly motivated once you cook something you like because now you're like, okay, I can do this. And, and it's like, of course you can. Of course you can do it. Yeah. I got the same kind of bug. Like over the last six months, I've been, uh, you know, developing my home tracking game. Um, and I, like, I started from scratch. I had nothing. I knew very little. And um, 
over the last six months, I've like those little successes, like where you do something for yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, is like, it gets you motivated for like, okay, what else can I do? What else, you know, do I need to learn? Let's, let's keep going. And, That's and I, I think anybody can get the, the bug that way for cooking. Absolutely. I mean, you see all this shit here. I mean, this prior to COVID and this was not in existence at all. Right. Like these microphones, this console, mm -hmm. this is all borrowed gear from friends <laughs> who like literally was like, hey, you know, I'm not using these microphones because we're not going on the road. So if you want to use these SE microphones, go right ahead. I'm like, what? Yeah. Because it was like, and, and then this console too was part of the tour thing. And then these other mics from another friend of mine who's got so much gear, he's like, man, here, just use this, get your stuff going. Like he's like pushing, pushing, like, Get your shit together. Do it. Right. And so, I literally, um, if I if at some point I may, I'll send you a video. I'll try to see if I can like pan around. I don't think Zoom can like switch cameras, but oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll Facetime you so you can see. I'm in the garage, like literally in the garage. Yeah. And I'm, I've made myself a little shanty in here. Because right. <laughs> so, it was like, I mean, starting off, man. You and you can kind of see a little bit. I tried to keep. The garage cropped out in a lot of the earlier videos I was posting in here because I yeah. didn't want anybody to be discouraged. But oh man, I would send him a track, but he's in the garage. It's probably gonna sound like shit, it's right? Like, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but no, but nobody cares where you are. They care what it sounds like. And like you yeah. know, in in putting up videos, we're getting off cooking here. Back to drums. It's inevitable. <laughs> but like in putting up videos, I've been like self conscious about you know what the room looks like, what's in the background behind the set. <laughs> and I looked at other people's videos. I'm like, that room is a fucking mess. But I don't yeah, care. Yeah. They sound great. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the same thing, too, when I was doing cook, I was actually trying to film myself cooking mm -hmm. from like camera angles and stuff. I had my tripod in the kitchen and <laughs> my cell phone. You know, I had all this stuff set up. Man, that's a whole nother thing. Like the way they edit cooking stuff. And I watched all these videos of like different people cooking stuff and seeing how they had just a clean looking everything like no, no clutter I, by clean i mean clutter um and like the editing parts and the lighting and how do you do it do i do i talk while i'm preparing a dish or do i mute my voice mute all the noises from the video and just do an overdub right of what I'm doing that way i can like cut it up really quickly Instead of me just talking it through, because I'm not, I'm not that cook yet. Right. Where I can talk you through confidently in a streaming platform. I can do it if you're in the kitchen and we're talking. I can do it, but a lot of time goes by when a person is there versus somebody watching it on their phone. They get bored. They move on to the next thing. Totally. So, um, so I'll, right now I just post pictures and I'll post some IG quick stories of me doing a few things. Here's David Northrup performing on the six and a half by fourteen buyer snare drum. So you mentioned um, like a bunch of gear when we were talking about you know the the recording thing, um, sure. and you know during this time. 
I've I've tried to be that guy for a couple of my friends with with cooking equipment. Like I'll give you know my buddy an old an old knife that I'm not using yeah. anymore or something. Just because I, I feel that that's another gateway into cooking. Like if you if you get a good piece of gear that Ooh. that gets you the result that you imagine. You know, because yeah. a lot of times, uh, you know, the the equipment you have, the tools you have, are the impediment. It's not the time. It's not the will. Um, right. You just don't have the right gear. So, what, in your opinion, are a couple of essential pieces of good gear that every home cook needs? Uh, well, definitely sharp knives. And, yeah. and if the knives aren't sharp, there is a knife sharpener. It's kind of industrial. Um, I gotta remember what the name of it is, but it's called, it's like it's on Amazon. It's like the sh- sharpener costs about 150 bucks though, mm. but it has three sets of double slots. Mm-hmm. So if you have a single beveled, um, you only use one side of each slot. If you have a double bevel, double beveled, and double bev- double and single beveled knives, that's hard to say. I know. <laughs> <laughs> double and single beveled knives are basically most knives are double. beveled Mm -hmm. um but for those listening um single bevel is just where you have that little slant on one side of the knife and then on double beveled you have the slants on both sides so if you see a single bevel you may say oh this is different you know you may not and a lot of those single bevels are straighter blades instead of the curve yeah that you have and you can think of this for those of our listeners who don't know exactly what we're talking about. This is like the bearing edge on a drum. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so if you have, um, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Or it's like a flat ride. It's like, it's like, a, like a, uh, the hi-hats, uh, the flat bottom hi-hat right. and the curve. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so a sharp knife and... and, and and like I said, if you have a knife that isn't sharp, it can be saved. It can be salvaged mm-hmm. by getting one of these type of things and following the directions, like starting with the coarse and long, um, slow pulls through the, um, through the uh, stone. Mm-hmm. Both sides, like probably, you know, 20 on both sides. So one, one, two, I mean, one, two, three, four, you know what I mean? Yeah, or 10. Yeah. And then move it to the middle one, same thing, and then the buffer, and then take a sheet of paper and see if you can cut through it. Right, right. And, once you, and then once you go to try to cut a tomato or cut through chicken or cut through an onion yep. and see how, sharp, see how easy it goes through, man, I'm telling you, it'll bring a tear to your eye. I'm not even lying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you, I went you, through all my knives and did that. It's a thing of beauty. Now, if if you don't want to go out and spend 150 bucks on a on an expensive sharpener, if you've got a local kitchen store or maybe even like Williams-Sonoma, you can yeah. get knives professionally sharpened for... 10 bucks each or something. Yeah. Um, and well, that's you, a, you know, that's a trip somewhere. You got to be without your knife for a couple days, but like you can get it professionally sure. sharpened for very cheap. Um, and I would, I would add to what you're saying that um, a lot of people try to go out and buy like a big set of knives, you yeah. know, in, in the big block and you put it on and there's yep. like, you know, 12 knives or something in there. Um, and you really only need three knives. You need a chef's knife, a small paring knife, and a serrated knife. And maybe you don't even need the serrated knife. But if you yeah. take if you take that money that you were going to spend on that 
eight piece or 12 piece set, you know, half of which at least you're not going to need. You take that money and you spend it on two or three really good high quality knives that are going to last you a lifetime. That is going to make a huge difference in your cooking yeah, game. Absolutely. I mean, the weight of the knife balance, the, um, where it, like some of the knives have, I forget what this is called, but the little oval indentions on the side above the bevel. It, yeah, it's uh, hollow ground. Hollow ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's like whichever one works for you, but getting, when you get those three knives, make sure you get a honing blade. Yep. Before every time, every time you get ready to use the, the knife, sharpen it with that thing yep. and then and you know it's the whole i think is it 45 degree no half a 45 degree angle is like yeah you know, like german you, german knives are, are 20 or 25 degree 20 degrees i think and then japanese knives are like 15 or 16 degrees yeah um, and you know take it and yep yep <laughs> and so it was a while before i knew the difference between a sharpener and a honing blade or a honing steel and alton right. brown did a, a great video about what a honing steel does versus what a sharpener does right um, like a, a so a whetstone if you're going to sharpen it with a stone or any kind of sharpener that actually removes material from right. the blade but what a honing steel does is like on a microscopic level and you already know this i'm just explaining it for for, for the folks um on a microscopic level, the very edge of your knife will actually bend. So the honing blade, if you, if you draw that blade across the honing steel, then it knocks the bent part of your blade back to center. And this, it's really on a microscopic level, but it makes a difference. Like you can feel it when you're cutting food. Absolutely. Cause you'll see, you'll feel the blade start to turn. Yep. When you down and it'll, it'll go, it'll turn to the side instead of going straight down. Yep. So if you actually sharpen your knives once or twice a year and use a honing steel in between, that's all you need. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I didn't really it it wasn't until early this year that I started using the honing um, rod or, or whatever the um, because I thought before it was to sharpen. I'm like, man, this isn't working. Once I actually sharpened my knives with that edge sharpener yep. that I had. Then I started using it. I was like, oh, okay, man. <laughs> and it's like addictive almost. It's like every time I cook, you know, never. Also, everybody is listening, never put them in a dishwasher. Ever. Uh, don't put them in a dishwasher. Just wash them. And then as soon as you wash them, dry them. I sharpen them again still, even before I put them in, back in a drawer. Yep. Um, just because I like the knives always being sharp. Now, there are some accidents that could happen, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But the, and don't and also don't put them in a sink of soapy water. Oh God! Even like like because my mother in law she cut her thumb last week like a bad cut on her thumb like she went in and it sliced her thumb mm. on the back. Yep. Uh, and because that knife is so sharp. Yep. And so I try to I try to always keep them outside of the sink so I can see them. Definitely. And I never and I plus I never for anybody that's listening on the cooking. You know, tip like washing dishes as you go is key, but having a a, a, um, a sink full of water and stuff, you just you forget what's in there. Yep. So it's better. It's better, I think, for like for certain dishes you can put in a dishwasher, but for knives, just go ahead and wash them, dry them, put them away, and you're done. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there, there are a couple reasons you're so much better off with a sharp knife. I mean, there are many reasons, but one is you're actually less likely to cut yourself with a really sharp knife because yeah. it will go where you think it's going to go. Yeah. The reason, the reason that you get cut is if your knife doesn't behave exactly like you're expecting it to when you put certain force on it in a certain direction. So right. a, a dull knife will go like off course and into your thumb. Yeah. Um, yep. but the other thing is that if you do happen to cut yourself with a sharp knife, you probably won't feel it. Yeah. And, and it'll <laughs> heal better. Because it's, a, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a razor blade. Yeah. It goes, it's a clean cut. It's easier to heal a dull blade. And my brother-in-law is a chef up in New Hampshire. And he told me a, a long time ago too. He said, never let your knives get dull because if you cut yourself, it could literally mess up your, your hand, mm -hmm. especially me, us, you know, but if it's a sharp blade, it'll heal quicker. Yep. It'll heal better, rather, um, uh, without leaving such a scar. Yep. Uh, so, what kind yeah, of knives do you have over there? I have. Well, it's funny. Like the, I have a set of the cut coat knives, but they were given to me by my stepmom mm. uh, because her my brother in law used to sell them years ago, and so she just gave me a set just to have. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I also have like. I don't even really have expensive blades. This is kind of like, I think what you're talking about. Like if you have sharp, if you keep them sharp, they're fine. But some of those stir, I think I got one from Publix <laughs> uh, and yeah. And one from somewhere else. They're not expensive blades that I have. Mm -hmm. I, I like the ones that I want, um, you know, I, I would love like to, get into either some Cafalon or um, the, what's my man, the um, Wooshtoff. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, again, like, my knives are Wooshtoff looking stylistically. Right. The weight, obviously, is, isn't the same. Right. But, um, but right now, I'm using, like I said, the Cutco. I don't even really use the Cutco that much. Mm -hmm. Even though the weight on it, I'm used to the other blade that's and I should bring it out, uh, but I think it's sterling something. Um, but I use that blade all the time. I have that one, I have pairing a smaller chef's knife, like uh, I think a five inch, uh -huh. seven inch chef's knife. And this is the and thing about knives like, you, you don't have to buy expensive knives, you don't have to no. buy a huge set as long as you know how to keep them sharp. Right. Yes, that's the thing, man. And a more expensive knife will uh, take a sharpening better. It'll get sharper, and it'll mm. it'll hold that edge longer. But even a cheap knife, if you know how to sharpen it, if you know how to hone it, it's going to be sharp enough. Um, and I mean, think about the Acrylite snare. Yeah, yeah. Acrylite snare is isn't an expensive snare. You know what I mean? In, in theory, it's like like the one I have one on here right now it's uh 65 i bought it for 99 bucks on ebay <laughs> now granted somebody probably didn't know what they had like the only reason anybody would pay more for this is because it's vintage but the drum itself is not expensive right you know and and so whatever gear you have mics it's like man it's a little 50 dollars microphone i use on whatever it's like but it works it's consistent and you're used to it that's all that matters yeah yeah you, you mentioned Wusthof, which is like a great, it's a German brand. It's, it's available everywhere. And, and that I would say is like a step above 
um, you know, the knives you'd see in Walmart or, or wherever. Right. Um, and for a chef's knife, for like a, an eight inch Wusthof chef's knife, you're probably looking at like, I don't know, 125, 150 bucks, something like that. Yeah. The Japanese equivalent of that is uh, Shun, which I have Shun. quite a few of. Um, yeah. And they're beautiful. <laughs> they are beautiful. I mean, the, the, the finish on them yeah. is it's amazing. Yeah. The pop is all like, it's incredible. They're really beautiful knives. But again, they're not super expensive. Like the Shun is like the superphonic, you know, <laughs> it's not, right. it's not super right. expensive. It's widely available. Um, and you know, the knives are just like drums. You can, you can go all the way up to the custom boutique, you know, yep. thousands of dollars. And most of us don't need that shit. Um, yeah, nope. Not at all. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, get a few good knives. Know how to sharpen them. It'll change your life. And then get you like a good pan. Yep. Like get. I mean, for for the beginners, I would definitely say nonstick. Don't don't try to jive into the um, stainless or yeah, the carbon steel or the. Yeah, don't try to dive into that yet because you know that requires a little more technique. Like like. Making an omelet in a in a stainless steel is extremely hard to make. It can be done, yeah. but you got to know when to add the fat or the oil or whatever at a particular heat, because you know once you add it, once you add oil to a stainless steel, it'll start burning quick. Right. Uh, and smoke point, it gets really, really, really hot, and you don't need a really hot pan for omelets. So uh, nonstick is easier. You may not even have to use any type of oil or anything. You may not have to because certain nonsticks literally mean that you can make an omelet with no type of uh, fattening or oil in it. Right. Uh, I'm Italian, but, so I just dump olive oil in everything, and it's, yeah, you know, I mean, it's part I, of my it, life. It, it stays here. <laughs> but I, you, it, like olive oil and ghee are the two things, and I make my own ghee most of the do time. Do you really? Yeah. Wow, I'm, that's cool. It's like it's way cheaper. It's just time consuming, but it's. I'd get eight sticks of unsalted butter and I put it on super low heat and just let it melt. And then after a while I go up, once it's melted on all, you see all the fats and stuff on top, uh, the milk solids, I turn up the heat just a tiny bit, like maybe 10 to 20% more. And then it starts to bubble. The milk solids start to solidify more, but you want to make sure the color of the, the, clarified butter isn't getting darker right now right. it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing that it gets darker because you have all these different gradients or these different colors of ghee from super golden yellow all the way down to like copper you know and it copper just gives you a nuttier f smell and like yeah. you know more for it's just it's just a different flavor good great for steaks you know stuff yeah, like that yeah yeah um because I use it when I make popcorn instead of using oil. I make popcorn in ghee. I sear steaks in ghee. Uh, the steak that I posted, um, what, last week, uh, that filet that I made? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I use ghee and the coffee grinds and whatever um, and, and seared it in that because ghee has a higher burn um, rate than olive oil, grapeseed. I think grapeseed oil, too. And, it a and higher straight butter, right? And it's butter. Yeah. And well, simply straight butter. Butter burns soon as you put that yeah. brown. But what it does is it's separating that part of it that turns brown from the other part that doesn't burn. Yeah. And so I 
I'll put that in like a cast iron skillet and it'll start smoking, but it ain't burning. Right, right. So and it smells better and it tastes so good. It, Making pancakes yeah. in it, pancakes <laughs> in it is like way better than oil. Pancakes and ghee. So you mentioned Great. you mentioned nonstick stuff, and you mentioned Calphalon uh, earlier, yeah. which I I think Calphalon is a great like middle of the road brand for nonstick cookware. You can find it almost anywhere. Um, Costco, yeah, Amazon. yeah, and and like a, a few good nonstick pans from Calphalon, and the pans are kind of the same as knives. Like if you if you just spend a little bit more money for a better quality product, it's gonna behave the way you think it should the way you expect it to right right because right. You, you don't expect a knife to veer off into your thumb and you don't expect a pan to just scorch something right. <laughs> because yeah. it's it's not distributing heat evenly um so it'll take a lot of the um the mistakes that aren't necessarily your fault out of the equation no that's right that's true um with so i have a set my mother-in-law and my wife for Christmas, they got me a whole new set of cookware. Nice. <laughs> um, my mother-in-law got me a set of Rachel Ray. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what brand hers is. Like the name, I didn't care about, but like the, it's not. They're all non-stick. Right. And then the, and then the, my Cuisinart are all stainless. So I keep them in two different cabinets, mm-hmm. and uh, and I can't say which one I use. Mo- I, I can't say which one I use more of, but the um, one thing that I will say is with the non-sticks, stainless steels or whatever, anytime you have a non-stick, you generally want to kind of wipe it out most of the time mm-hmm. and then, you know, wash it as, as you would. No um, dishwasher. Yeah. But also, if you have scorched marks um, on inside of your pot or on the outside, on the bottom, baking soda mm-hmm. and a non-scratch like a um, scotch um, scotch sponge. Bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not obviously not the metal one. But right. <laughs> just baking soda in that and some water. And then if you and if you burn like I've you know I've burned rice several times before. <laughs> and it's not my proudest moment, but uh, but. When you when I did it, take vinegar, water, and just get it to where it's covering, maybe like you know maybe an inch mm-hmm. or two of vinegar and, and, and water in whatever pot, and just let it simmer for a little while. Mm-hmm. And the vinegar breaks that stuff down. Take a wooden spoon, and you start to scratch the stuff off, and then take the baking soda. After you've cooled it off, take a baking soda and maybe more vinegar and take the uh, sponge and, you know, remove the rest of it. Same thing with rust on knives. Yeah. Baking, baking soda gets rid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So don't throw that stuff away, you know, and don't get those chemically stuff either. Um, Brasso, I think is what it's called. That yeah. stuff smell. I tried to use that stuff and it's like, man, I can't even take the smell. Right, right. Baking soda worked. Do you know about the, the dryer sheet trick for... no. Yeah, my wife taught me this. I don't know where she learned it because she doesn't. She doesn't do kitchen. She doesn't do cooking. Um, But if like what you're talking about, if you've got food like scorched on a pan or a baking sheet or something, fill it with water and just float a baking or float a a dryer sheet 
on the surface of the water. What? And leave it overnight. Just leave it in the sink full of water with a dryer sheet overnight. And you come back the next morning and that food will just let go. Like you scrape it with a wooden spoon or something. And wow. I don't know what the fuck is in dryer sheets that <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens. But it it works. It works. I, I'm but. I'm about to try that. Yeah, yeah. Not that I plan on burning anything anytime soon. But oh, but it'll <laughs> happen. We, you know, it, yeah. it still happens. <laughs> Kids, yeah, I get distracted. <laughs> right, right. Um, like it happened yesterday, almost. Really? <laughs> almost, almost yesterday. Um, yeah, you're cooking. You're cooking for a few people over there. Me, it's just it's me and my wife, and and you know sometimes right, right. we'll have people over there. But for for people who have kids. Um, what's, what's some, uh, some go-to stuff that you like making that, uh, that your kids like eating? So, all right. <laughs> they both love spaghetti. They both love chili. Uh, they both love, um, wings. <laughs> um, and then like my youngest is the one who doesn't like the most things. Like, um, he, he, he loves broccoli though. He doesn't hmm. like cauliflower. My oldest loves broccoli. I mean, he likes broccoli, but he loves cauliflower. My youngest likes honeydew. No, my youngest likes uh, cantaloupe. My oldest likes honeydew. My, my <laughs> All right, I'm gonna likes- I'm gonna stop you on the broccoli tip for one second because sure. you you led me to another point that I wanted to make, which is about vegetables. Like, just roast your vegetables or pan sear your vegetables. Do not boil them. Do not steam oh, them. God. It like yeah. it's just the worst. Get fresh vegetables, blast yeah. them on the stovetop or in the oven at high heat, and they will taste amazing. If you're not into vegetables, just start roasting them and and like pan sautéing them on high heat. And I, I would imagine that your kids are much they more like much more open to <laughs> like roasted veggies yeah. than boiled yeah. or steamed. Well, I'm trying to think. I think I've maybe steamed broccoli once. Mm-hmm. Haven't done it since because because yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was okay. It was okay. It's just like it's just wet vegetables. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, versus like roasting them. Like my wife would take broccoli and she would roast them with like um, garlic oil and red crushed pepper, salt and pepper. Yep, and, and just roast it. And the kids love it. I love it. So now. And I do still 90% of the cooking. Every now and then she will do it, but she has so much other shit she's doing. Yeah. So I do the majority of the cooking. And um, last night I did asparagus. I took some asparagus and took each asparagus, and you take the end of the asparagus and close to the top, and you bend it. Mm-hmm. And where it breaks is where that fibrous part that's hard to eat and chew breaks off, and you get rid of that. And mm-hmm. so then I take the edible parts, and I chopped them in in the thirds so i had like little bite-sized pieces and because i wanted to put them in the wok and they were too long to go in the wok the way i wanted so i chopped them into like one inch pieces yeah put the wok on high heat uh i think i threw olive oil in there and when it's smoking through the through after like make sure (laughs) sorry guys make sure whenever you're cooking that you keep your eye on whatever pot or pan you're using and whatever temperature setting you have it at. Don't set it to high and then walk away. Mm-hmm. Stay there because it's not going to take long for it to get hot. Once it gets hot, 
then you add the oil, then you add the vegetables. Right. You don't add the oil and let it sit for a while because otherwise the oil will scorch and it will burn. Yep. And, and, and if you add the oil at the very beginning, it'll still do the same thing. It'll start to burn unless you're like deep frying or something. Right. But, um, but anyway, I added the asparagus tips to that and then – let I mean, like the sound is like sizzling, instant sizzling. It's and one of my favorite things in cooking. Like ever since I was a kid, like dropping something into a hot pan and it goes like, I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking cooking, man. <laughs> and then it's some like, you know, I had Malden salt or you can do kosher salt or whatever. Just yeah. I, I love it if y'all never use table salt again. Yep. <laughs> Ionized table salt. Uh, just use sea salt, kosher salt, Himalayan pink salt, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the reason the reason is that like kosher salt or that kind of flake salt gives you a much bigger window of error. It's less yeah. salty than yeah. table salt, so yeah. you have a lot more control about. Okay, so continue. No, and 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 you also get a texture with kosher salt and molden salt, yeah. molden salt, where you can bite into the granules of salt, so you don't have to use as much. Right. Um, but. It uh, yeah, add add the salt to it, and then uh, fresh cracked pepper and the asparagus tips. When they started to kind of brown a little bit on caramelize a little bit, get some color. Uh, you don't want them to get mushy. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to turn dark green. Most of the time, I would blanch them, but I didn't this time. Which blanching is a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. um, once I put them in there, I uh, took one out to see if it was tender enough. Once it was, you know, like, like pasta, which you can talk about in a minute. I make homemade pasta too. But, oh, yeah. but, um, but anyway, take it out and, and I hit it with some fresh lemon juice and hit it with some extra, a little bit of the salt and it was ready to eat. Yeah. You know, fresh asparagus. Five minutes. The high heat is, yep. is key. Yep. Yep. Broiling sometimes is key. Broiling something mm-hmm. and versus just baking it. I have an Instapot. Dude. That Instapot, man, I didn't. Th- I thought Instapots were like kind of a cop out. The only reason I got the Instapot was because I saw that I could sous vide in it and I could pressure cook. Yeah, I didn't like- man. And, and I was like, okay. So, <laughs> but air frying on yep. there, air frying is pretty much oven baking with in a oil. Very small- well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but it's like I would bake wings the same way. Like I would put. I would turn the oven up to like 425, and I would get one of those cookie wire resting racks, cooling racks, yep. put it on top of a drip pan, and, and take all my wings, season them, coat them with a little oil, little oil, put them in the oven at a high heat, and let them cook, and they would get crispy. Now, I wouldn't put any baking powder on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would now, now that I know what baking powder does, but now I use the Instapot, and it's the same thing. It's like I season everything. Instapot on 400, 30 minutes, wings out. Whole chicken. I did a whole chicken in there. That's the one that I, The one that I filleted out on the last one. Yeah, photo God, I, that looked good. Damn like, it. Woo, carved that up. But that chicken was made in the Instapot. See, okay, you know? I've been hearing about the Instant Pot. Is it Instant Pot or Instant Pot? Instant Pot. Great question. Uh, I've been hearing about it from a lot of my friends. They're like, do you have one of these? I'm like, no. And... This is this is one of the areas where I have to kind of maintain my um, awareness of people who aren't in as into cooking as I am. Because when it comes to shit like that, I'm kind of a purist. If I see a, if I see a machine that uh, d- like fries and pressure cooks 
and sous vides and all that. I don't want that machine. I want a fryer and a pressure cooker and a yeah. sous vide, right? right. But for yeah. people who like don't have the time or money or the inclination to get into right. all that shit, that's a great, great tool that you can do all it kinds is. of recipes with. Um, and you mentioned, uh, man, you mentioned a whole bunch of shit I wanted to speak on. <laughs> well, well, I, I know. I, I talk a whole lot. Everybody no, no, this is why I wanted to do this with you because we are going to – it's just our time to dork out and, and the drummers who are listening can uh, listen or, or not or have their significant others who are <laughs> doing the cooking <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> um, so uh, – you mentioned pasta and roasted chicken, and oh, yeah, yeah. Um, these are two of the things that I recommend to people when they want to just like learn a couple things about cooking, because those those two dishes to me are indicative uh, and exemplary of my overall philosophy about cooking, which is that getting things right and making things delicious is usually pretty easy. But fucking it up is even easier. Yeah. And you just got to know a couple little things that anybody can do, but yeah. most people don't know. Um, so when it comes to making pasta, like, uh, you know, salt the water properly. Don't overcook the pasta. Use some of the pasta water after you've yes. cooked it in the uh, sauce. God, yes. Right? Um, yes. And, and with the chicken, uh, like spatchcock it like snip the backbone out splay it out yep. flat it'll cook way faster yep. roast it on high heat mm -hmm. <laughs> i heard a chef say one time 375 is death yeah. <laughs> like if you yep. roast your chicken at 450 it's going to cook faster the longer something sits in an oven the more moisture it loses yep right um so uh like i can i i can go more in depth about about both those things but like a proper plate of pasta and a proper roasted chicken are two awesome, delicious things that anybody can do um, yeah. that you can go kind of as it's, it's like the Epicurious show. Like you can do very basic. And then once you know that there's a couple other steps that you can get into, yeah. but the basic shit is going to be delicious if you get it right. Right. Yeah. The, um, the, the roasting the chicken in an oven and I guess the reason also uh, for really f loving this Instapot is the simple fact that, again, your time is cut out, energy isn't wasted, and it doesn't take as long for the oven. Like, the oven would take so long, as, you know, to get hot. And so I was like, you know, again, when I got it for the pressure cooking and the sous vide, because I was going to get a sous vide, and I was like, you know what, let me try this thing before I... Because if I get the sous vide, that means I have a big tray and everything. And, and I was doing sous vide poor man style at first, man. Because all I have, I was using my crock pot on a warm setting. And I would take <laughs> it on and off. And it would still end up overcooking, obviously. But, and for those um, who don't know, sous vide is a method of cooking where you put food in like a vacuum sealed bag or a Ziploc bag. And you submerge it in water that is heated to a very specific temperature. It's not boiling. Yeah. Um, no. So you can you can bring a steak up to 120 degrees and then take it out of the bag and sear the outside, and yes. and the whole steak is like perfect temperature all the way throughout. So that's what sous vide is. Chicken is like really good for sous viding. Yep. Uh, like 
take a half a chicken or a Cornish hen, and basically you season it. I, I well, I would season and add like you know some fresh garlic in there or whatever you're doing, like whether it's lemon slices, rosemary, yeah. whatever, um, and then take it out of the bag, sear it in a cast iron. Now, I shouldn't say searing because I think that's a technical term that is that's not actually happening because searing is when you're trying to lock in the juices of a piece of meat that hasn't been cooked mm-hmm. these pieces of meat have been cooked so you don't so when you're cooking the steak and the chicken after they've been sous vide you don't have to cook it at such a high temperature to crisp up the skin right you can't but it's not necessary to do it because the chicken is already cooked so there's not going to be anything leaving the chicken right you're just creating you're creating color on the outside you're creating another layer of flavor with that caramelization yeah and to your point about the pasta man absolutely i don't like mushy pasta man it drives me nuts um and using that pasta keeping that starchy water um so that the pasta sauce sticks to it a lot of people will a lot of people thought, myself included, a long time ago, you had to rinse off the pasta because that's how it was taught. Yeah. Because you wanted, and their reasoning for doing it was to keep the pasta from cooking more. Right. Because it's sitting in a big pot and it's hot. Yeah. And they would rinse it off to keep it from cooking. Well, now you got a slimy, slippery pasta that sauce is not going to stick to. The flavor is slightly different. Yep. And, and so, and it's like nuanced stuff, but once you have it, where it's done right, taste it. Right. And, and you most can, of the time, I, I, mm-hmm. talk, I talked my buddy through this um, a, a week ago because he was just making pasta with jarred sauce. And even, yeah. even that can be just improved by miles with, yeah. with this little like pasta water trick. So I'm, I'm just going to go through it real quick because I'm, I'm obsessed and I love it. Um, so cook your pasta until it's almost done. Like it's, it's almost to the point where you would eat it, but not yet. Right. Um, reserve some of that starchy pasta water, like a cup or two. You're not going to need it all, but reserve some of that water, drain your pasta, put the sauce in the pan. You cooked the pasta in, get it hot, throw the pasta back in there and use less sauce than you need. Use less sauce than you think you need at first. Start combining yeah. the pasta and the sauce. It's probably going to feel a little tight. And when it feels a little tight, add some of that water. Yeah. On, it's on the heat. So the final stage of cooking for the pasta happens in the sauce and that, little, that starchy water. You move yep. it around. You get that starch incorporated. You throw some olive oil in there. The olive oil and the starch combine and emulsify to create silky, awesome sexiness in your pasta. And you can just kind of judge whether you need a little more sauce, a little more water, you know, let that liquid reduce a little bit more if it's a little too loose. Um, So like any old pasta with any old jarred sauce can be made really, really good with that simple step. Don't put Mm -hmm. naked pasta on a plate and pour sauce over it. That's pointless. (laughs) Marry, (laughs) Marry them in the pot. And then, you know, if you want to get super fancy with it, I do. just throw a little bit of fresh basil on it. There, there you go. <laughs> yep. Fresh, fresh basil, basil chiffonade, little, yeah, right, little Parmesan, Parmigiano Reggiano. Yeah. Put it on a white plate or a black plate, take a picture of it and share it. Yeah, man. And that's a perfect example of something like everybody knows how to make pasta, but not everybody knows that those couple of simple little steps to make it 
fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, eat, and, 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 you know, everybody, some people go through, like, making fresh pasta sauce out of fresh tomatoes and yeah. like that. Like, I've done that a couple times. And the, one of my favorite tomato sauce brands to buy, my friend Giovanni turned me on to it. It's called Pomi, P-O-M-I. Oh, I'm not hip. It's like, I think it has the absolute lowest amount of sodium, if any. Because, like, tomatoes, here's the thing. Tomatoes don't have salt in it. They're not salty fruit or vegetables, whichever one you want to call it. Everybody, right. like, argues what a tomato is. But it's, it's, a, sweet, um, it's, a, it's a sweet vegetable, a sweet fruit. Yeah. And so when you buy tomato sauce, it's very salty, because there's so much sodium in it. Yep. And so people add sugar to their pasta sauce. Oh, God. Because, yeah, I know. And, and so <laughs> I was, one time I was, talking to, um, I was talking to Jeff Coffin a couple years ago. And he was talking about how his mother or aunt or somebody, he, he has a family member from Sicily, I believe, Italy. And they made pasta sauce and they grated carrots in it yeah. now a traditional bolognese is grated carrots onion celery the mirepoix or whatever yep and um but the carrots add that sweetness to it mm-hmm. cut against sometimes a tartness that a tomato sauce would have if you're not making it fresh yourself mm-hmm. but, but tomatoes you normally if you slice a tomato and eat it you normally add salt to it you don't put sugar on a slice of tomato right but Tomato sauce is complete opposite for some reason because they add so much sh- uh, sodium to it. Yeah. So a lot of times if you can get like P-O-M-I, Pomi uh, tomato sauce, and, and use that. It's a little more expensive. It's top shelf uh, at Publix anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really good quality to me, tomato sauce. Uh, and a lot of chefs don't tend to make their own tomato sauce unless like – you have a 50 seater restaurant or something. Right. Right. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so even making homemade pasta, like I have a, we have a, a Cuisinart bread maker. Yeah. I have a an- Anilon, I think. Uh, is that what it's called? Anilon. I have a pasta roller with right. a fettuccine and um, angel hair setting. Um, and like, yeah, three, three eggs and, you know what? Two cups of flour. I think so. Uh, some 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 kind of ratio like that. Different people do different things, but and there's also uh, eggless pasta, which like most most dried pasta that you buy in the store is does not have egg in it. Like if it has egg in uh, it, it'll say so. Yeah. Um. Egg pasta. Right. 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 But, but yeah, we'll make it at times. It's a little more tedious, but yeah. it's fun. Like kids love rolling a thing. Totally. And, Spraying all, you know, sprinkling the flour on it and everything. Yeah. Uh, when you get that type of pasta, when you make that type of pasta, it doesn't take as long mm-hmm. to, to for it to sit in the water. It cooks really um, fast. Really fast. It's just making it is just what's slow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they actually it at um, they sell. Is it bu- uh, butoni? No. Um, bucatini. Or bucatini. A brand. It's in the, it's, 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 a, it's a brand. It's a pasta that's pretty much halfway cooked. It's, and you usually find it in a dairy section close by the cheeses and oh, stuff. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's and not... Mario Batali had some, right. but it's green package, and they make it for frafale. Um, they make it for linguine, fettuccine. Gnocchi, probably. So, 
Gnocchi, yeah. And so, yes, they do make it for gnocchi. And, and so you'll take your boiling water, salted boiling water, you drop the pasta in there, and it's only going to be in there maybe one minute. Yep. Um, and you pull it out, and the texture, the flavor is way different than, they say, Barilla. I like Barilla. Um, I'm a DeCecco guy, man. DeCecco is, is where it's yeah, yeah, yeah. at, that blue and yellow, that blue and yep. yellow box. But I learned yep. in, uh, I've been to Italy a few times, and I learned that there are certain pasta dishes that are meant because like I thought that fresh pasta was always the way to go if you could if you could find it or if you could make it. It was always superior. But I learned that there are certain pasta dishes that are meant to be with fresh pasta, but other pasta dishes that are meant to be dried pasta. Right. And you can go because of the liquid. Right. Bake. Right. Liquid rape. So like lasagna. Can, so, yes. Yes. You know. So you can go deep on that if you want. Um, uh, no, I'm not talking Italian with an Italian. <laughs> Our snare drum feature of the week is the Buyer 4x15, performed by Nashville session player Mark Beckett. I would make a French loaf bread, basic. It's just like bread flour, water, salt, yeast. Yep. Um, and put that in the bread maker and let it, because baking is not my game at all. So it's like. Me neither. Get- I'm inching into it. Like I've started, I've started baking some bread. Um, I got a KitchenAid mixer. Like I'm, yeah. I'm venturing into baking, but it's. Uh, <laughs> a KitchenAid mixer is a bad thing, man. Dude, those I things. Love- my wife, my wife got me one for my 40th birthday, um, uh-huh. and uh, I've used it a few times, like for bread. Br- like if you're if you're not into baking, like desserts and and pastries and everything, bread is a great way to just start learning like the fundamentals yeah. of of baking chemistry and and biology. Whether you do like my my uh, father in law has a bread maker, like you're talking about, and does it mm-hmm. all the time. But it's mm-hmm. again, it's re- it's pretty easy. To yeah. like just make a sourdough or make a yeast loaf and a boule, you know, mm. bake it in a Dutch oven. I tell you, man, the first time I baked a loaf of bread, it was the most, it was the most mystical, like sacred thing. I, I immediately, <laughs> cause like bread is, is just one of those elemental human foods that just like resonates through history. Right. And the first time right. I baked a loaf of bread, I felt this kinship with every human in the history of the world that ever baked a <laughs> loaf of bread. It was <laughs> hilarious. It was really cool. Was really I mean, cool. I, think, I think with bread too, man, is that it's like baking is, is hard because you can't undo something. Right. You know, you can sit like, I made like, all right. So total like transparency. That steak that I made with the stream beans and the potatoes, uh-huh. that steak was salty as shit. <laughs> now, now, the reason why, um, the reason why I was like, man, I'm st- I still want to post it, you know, even though it's salty. It doesn't look mother- salty. No. But, yeah. Right. But I, I um, you know, I took all of the seasonings and, and like the chili powder, the, um, what did I use? Chili powder, coffee. Uh, I think I use coriander and 
something else, fresh cracked pepper and kosher salt, all in the same bowl, mixed it together. And then I would take the steak, put it in a bowl and just roll it around in that. Chefs do that, but my salt ratio is just way too damn high. <laughs> and so from that point on, I said, you know what, from now on, I'm going to keep the salt separate. Mm-hmm. Salt and, and, and salt the meat first because you want that to stick for sure. Right. I did the same thing with the wings. Um, I took all those wings, patted them dry, each one patted them dry, and then put salt in there, coated them, and then put the other herbs on it. So salt the meat first, the, the steak, and then you can roll it around in the other stuff that's not a salt element. Um, and you know, cast iron it from that point on. Right. Then throw the knob of butter in there with rosemary and garlic, basted oven or whatever, get it done to where you want it. But it was just so salty. But, uh, I, and I took those pan drippings and I, as, uh, I, it's kind of the similar thing that I did when I was doing the chicken the other day, but I didn't add bourbon for the chicken that I did in the Instapot. I added bourbon and you couldn't see, uh, the flames and the Instagram feed or the story. Yeah. But what was funny about that at the very beginning, when I start to, uh, when I get ready to light it, you see a fly fly right as I lit it. <laughs> and the fly, the flame, it literally hit the fly. Cause I looked over on the ground and the fly landed. Oh, and was like, man. Oh, <laughs> was like, oh no. <laughs> the flame hit it. Oh, and so uh, what a way to like, go. Well, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> bourbon glaze right right man <laughs> but but anyway the steak sauce was like yeah i added a little bit of um put it back on a skillet and back on the stove and let it simmer added some um heavy cream and some butter and made yeah. a sauce, made a sauce out of that and so that's what's on normally if not normally what i meant to do when i was plating it was again something i see gordon do a lot of chefs don't put sauce on top of the meat they put it on the bottom yep for plating yeah and so that way the customer can taste the actual thing itself yeah and fit in the sauce whatever it is right so right. but anyway and you well you were you were mentioning like how you can kind of rescue something in the middle if you're if you're cooking whereas you can't usually with baking like you gotta follow the recipe throw it in the oven and hope for the best and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it's fucking fickle man like yeah. the, the conditions in the room the temperature like everything can play into it um the water the yeah. temperature of the water yeah man. like i have a, i got an insta read thermometer me too because my neighbor has one and i was like man so when i would measure out my cup of water the recipe says the water needs to be tap uh tap water temperature lukewarm somewhere around like you know i think it said 80 to 70 to 80 degrees or something like that yeah and so i would literally have to use the insta because if it's over that your bread loaf will dive right it'll fall um because i'm like because I, I made three loaves of bread that all did that and i was mm-hmm. like well maybe that's how it's supposed to be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I looked up some stuff, and then I was like, okay, let me try to make the water much cooler because I thought I had it at the temperature that it was saying. Right, but if, it's, if it's too hot, it'll kill some of the yeast, right? Right, right. Yeah. And when you add, like, you have to follow the directions carefully on the bread maker because you add the water and the salt at the bottom, 
then you put the bread flour in, then you put the yeast on top of the flour. You can't let that yeast hit the water yet. Mm. It'll stir it in there itself, but you don't let the yeast go into the water because it starts to activate too early. Got it. So you activate with the flour in the bread maker. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was saying all that to say, going back to like the baking thing, um, I would take whatever leftover bread we have and make French toast the next morning out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or make uh, croutons yeah. out of it, you know? So yeah, and I mean, you you buy like a bag of croutons at the grocery store. How much salt is in that shit? Oh how much God. preservatives? Like how? When was that made? How long has it been sitting on the shelf? Um, it's easy to make. Good, it's easy to make. Yeah, and you can you can just take your leftover shit. You can take the chicken you roasted the other night and make stock out of that carcass. Yep. Um, Another uh, like with with even sliced bread like. If you ha- if you don't want to do French toast, I saw this trick. Uh, you take like a um, a glass, take that glass, take the bread, make a biscuit, you know, circle out of it. Yeah, and and then put it in the skillet with some olive oil, with a little bit of oregano, a little bit of salt and pepper, and just like toast it on the skillet on both sides. And then as soon as it's done, maybe hit it with a little fresh parmesan. Yeah, and that's yeah. like perfect little disc croutons i want that Man. or sandwich like like bruschetta or something like that you know or you I can, put a fried egg on that benedict yeah boom it's easy to do you know it's just like <laughs> it's stuff stuff looks way more fancy than it is to actually make you yeah. have all the tools in your kitchen that more than likely you need except the ingredients for something yeah yeah you mentioned most of the time. sorry what no, most of us have a lot of the stuff that we actually need. Right, so. right. You mentioned salt earlier, and it, it's, it's gotten me in trouble so many times, and I know it, it's one of the things that gets everybody in trouble. And it reminded me of a great book um, that I got a few years ago by Michael Ruhlman. Um, he's a great food writer. He's been on Anthony Bourdain's show. They were, they were friends. Um, but it's called Ruhlman's 20. And it's 20 chapters, each of which deals with a specific ingredient or technique. Um, and so there's a, there's, a, there's a chapter about salt. There's a chapter about roasting. There's a chapter about eggs, a chapter about onions, a chapter about acid, like lemon juice. And it's called Ruhlman's 20, R-U-H-L-M-A-N, Ruhlman's 20. Um, and that might not be a beginner thing. That's probably something for someone who's a little more into it and a little further down the road, but it like each chapter kind of teaches you why this ingredient or why this technique is sort of a important and be universal to tons of recipes. And then he gives you some recipes to kind of practice that ingredient or that technique. Um, and so he, there's a whole chapter about salt, and he mentions a bunch of the stuff you mentioned about, like, when to add it, how much to add, what kind of salt to use. Um, yeah. But that's, that's like, been a huge uh, step forward in my cooking game over the last yeah. few years. It's just fundamentals, man. It is. And, and I know early on when I was probably still – towards the end of college, I was playing at this um, – restaurant here called F Scott's back, uh, back in the day, mm-hmm. Green Hills area. And I used to play there almost every weekend. 
And I used to go back in the kitchen and hang with the chef back there and just watch them cook, Chef uh, Jason and uh, Carl. And same thing uh, when I used to play at Sambuca. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a chef there um, who we became friends. We became friends because he is a drummer as a hobby, (laughs) but he's a but he's a chef. Right, right. And, um, polar opposite, man. So he, like, we would talk about food and he would just tell me some stuff and hit me to some stuff. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds great. So, um, you know, hanging in the kitchens, watching them assemble certain things and watching just the technique um, is, is, is incredible. I mean, one of the things, uh, one word that I would say that a French term that I would definitely recommend everybody checking out is mise en place. Mm-hmm. And basically, it means everything is in place, ready to go. Mm-hmm. It's prepping. So it makes your cooking experience way easier and more calming because you've prepped everything. You're like, don't turn on any eye on the stove yet. Yep. If your ingredients are sitting out in bags, don't even pull out a pot or a pan yet. Mm-hmm. You know, just like go ahead and take the onion, peel the skin off, dice it. I actually just got a one of those potato things that you push down and it pushes the potato out. Oh yeah, and the perfectly cut French fries. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is freaking <laughs> amazing! Because like again, when you got, when you when you're pressed for time, you got to like get shit going, and when you're the only one in the kitchen too. Yeah, you got to get stuff going. So, making French fries out of rusted potatoes, push them through this thing or whatever. So, um, almost lost my train of thought that quick. But the, <laughs> um, but don't like go ahead and dice all the ingredients up. Certain ingredients you want to be careful that you don't dice them too early because they'll start to oxidize and brown, like potatoes, like guacamole, like yep. uh, avocado, whatever. Apples, yeah. So you use lemon juice on the avocado and apples, not on potatoes. Right. Uh, you can you can you can keep I think potatoes submerged in water. That that kind of helps yep. in ice water or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you have all of the things kind of laid out, ready to go, um, the meat has been cut how you want it to be. It's come to room then, temperature. Yeah. Then you have all your seasoning. You have your fresh crack pepper i put my salt in a, a container so i can just like take it out instead of shaking it or yep. i just pepper sometimes i'll take my coffee grinder and take a bunch of peppercorns and grind a bunch and mm-hmm. then put it in the container um i having I, I need to get one of those electric pepper grinders uh, <laughs> did you know like, vic firth used to make pepper grinders i had one i have one right now my wife got it for me a long time I ago a, and i lost a little top to oh, the little shit, man. silver top like it got it like fell off, and I have no idea where it went. I was so mad. I had the little orange one. Marco sent yeah. me that little orange one. I'll bet um, you can go to Home Depot and find yourself a little like nut to go on the top there, and and that's true. I rehabilitate it. I love that thing, man. But you're absolutely um, right about about mise en place, and it's so funny you mentioned that because the first chapter in Michael Ruhlman's book, I think, is is called Think. Like yeah. think is an ingredient. Think is a technique. And before you go about, um, you know, whatever you're going to make, take a minute or two and figure out like, 
What do I have to get out of the fridge? What do I have to get out of the pantry? What pans am I going to need? What's going to take the longest to cook? What's going to be the hardest to chop? And just sort of like organize it in your brain and on the counter in your workspace. And your whole flow is just going to go much better. Yeah, because it's all about timing. And like, imagine that um, as musicians, you would think that we would have that down. It's all about timing and it's all about listening, Mm -hmm. you know. Timing, listening, I mean, those are, you got two out of the three, smell and taste out of the two out of the four, um, I should say feel, but yeah. But at least you got two things working for you. you. You're listening to the frequency of popping or listening to the diminishing of the volume of something cooking. Okay, yep. I don't hear it sizzling anymore. That means it's time to turn it or it's time to take it off the heat or cover it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and same thing with... Uh, um, what did I say? Uh, sound and timing. Yeah. The sound was, will help you with the timing, but once you get something in there, you add the next thing, next thing, taste it, and add salt as you go. Mm-hmm. You, can be, you can be a little conservative if you are nervous about it because you can always add salt. It's better that stuff is perfectly salted before it finishes cooking, but you can still add a little salt to something if you need be. You cannot take salt away. Yep, absolutely. I also have, uh, you reminded me about another hack about the, you talked about the potatoes and apples like browning. Yeah. So do you have a wood cutting board? Yes. This is another thing I highly recommend. If you've, if you've got a good knife, you've got a sharp knife, a wood cutting board is what you want because that will keep your knife the sharpest. Like plastic or glass or bamboo or any of this other shit that they're using will, can mess up your knife. But like one of the disadvantages of a wood cutting board is that sometimes it gets like smelly, especially if you're cutting onions or something on that. So I recently, I recently learned this hack. Um, I think it was from America's Test Kitchen about the – there's an enzyme in potatoes and apples and some other fruits and vegetables that makes them turn brown, right? It's an enzyme. That enzyme also has the ability to neutralize odor. Hmm. So if you get a potato, if you just grate a potato or just like chop it up real thin and spread it over your wood cutting board and leave it there for half an hour until it turns totally brown and then rinse it off, it'll draw a lot of the odor out of your wood cutting oh. board. Wow. Now I know potatoes also are a cure or cure. Um, they get rid of rust on the bottom of like cast irons. Like <laughs> I didn't it, know that. Yeah. Like I saw this on something, man. You like took it and you rough. And I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah. Potatoes cast are a superfood. Who knew? Cast, cast irons can be salvaged as well. Oh, for sure. It's, it just, it's tedious, but it, you know, cleaning a cast iron, obviously, you never put it in a dishwasher. I, you know, I know that's not, that's not as common sense to a lot of people who are getting into cooking, but if you get a good cast iron, never put it in a, uh, in a um, dishwasher and never leave it submerged in water. I would almost say you don't even like put it in water, but sometimes you do rinse it or whatever, but just make sure you dry it all the way off yep. and add some oil on it and take a paper towel and rub the oil mm-hmm. all over it. And I just put it you, on a burner to dry it out. Like oh, I'll wash it and put it on a burner and get it hot as fuck. And then, yeah. then add the oil, rub it around there, let the oil smoke yeah. a little bit that forms that polymer so that it's nonstick. But yeah, any, yeah. any cast iron can be salvaged. 
Yeah, man. And then when you cook something and it's like if you have granules or whatever that you're not going to use, like if you're making a steak and you didn't want to make a sauce, you wouldn't deglaze it. So you would um, take it off and let, let it cool down a little bit and then add kosher salt or rock salt, paper towel or a towel that you're not going to use. And those granules of salt, just that coarse texture scrapes all of that stuff off mm-hmm. or with a spoon, but no metal on cast iron. And um, I mean, I use a metal spatula when I'm flipping pancakes just because it's thin enough to get under it. Yeah. Um, and like, um, and I, I tried to use, I think, like one of those um, silicone on cast iron a long time ago. That did not work. That thing melted. <laughs> cast iron gets so damn hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of stuff, but everything is just one step at a time and being patient with yourself like you are in music. Um, one, one thing at a time. Yeah, um, and everything everything builds on itself, and and a little success here leads to the the motivation to learn the next thing. Yeah, rice cooking. Oh I mean, man, <laughs> cooking, cooking rice. Now, I watched a show. This Caribbean guy, he makes a lot of vegetarian dishes on YouTube. His channel, forget the name of his channel, but it's a Caribbean vegetarian guy. You hear his accent. All you see are his arms and his hands. <laughs> um, he had a guest on his show one time, and they were making some kind of vegan um, rice vegetable mixture and and it had I think set some saffron in it uh, which is one of my favorite things to smell yeah um, but one of the things with rice uh, is like I if I use a cup of rice I'm usually going to use a cup and a half of, of water um, it's not necessary. I don't do the equal to equal, you know, ratio of mm-hmm. rice to water. I usually do a little more water uh, to make the rice fluffy. Mm-hmm. And this Greek restaurant, Kalamata's in Green Hills, they used to, when I went there, they made this yellow rice and it was really light and fluffy and good. And I said, how do y'all make this? And they said, well, we actually bake it. They no start shit. on the stove. They start on the stove. And then they finish it in the oven. And I was like, oh, that makes sense because now the heat isn't just coming from under it. It's coming all around it. And, but they add a lot of olive oil to theirs yeah, and, and some bay leaves. And it's really light and fluffy. So now when I do rice, I may add turmeric. Or if I'm making yellow rice, I may do like chicken stock, turmeric, bay leaf, saffron, and salt. But I'll take the rice, put it in this uh, – uh, take the pot – Get the pot nice and hot, add the oil, add the raw rice to the oil, yep. and stir it around to coat every granule. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to brown the rice. I'm just trying to get every one coated and then salt it and then add the chicken stock or add the water. Um, and the guy in his video, you know, he said stir it a little bit once you add the water. And the water's going to start bubbling. Cover it. Once you start to see the um, steam come out of the sides, turn the heat on lowest setting possible and just let it go for 20 minutes. And afterwards, that's been the most consistent way for me of cooking rice. And that just started happening like last month. Yeah. (laughs) 
that that, that sounds like, that sounds he, really similar to um, a buddy of mine who's uh, Brazilian, and and he, the, he taught me this is like the Brazilian way of of making rice, and and they do like onions with it and stuff too. But it sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. very similar. Um, yeah, add cheese, garlic, whatever. Yeah, I I learned recently um, if you want to make rice that and and not impart any flavor, like if you just want straight rice to put you know stir fry over or something like that. Um, you can, you can cook it like pasta. Like you don't have to measure the water. You just get some water boiling, dump as much rice in there as you want to eat. You gotta, you gotta keep an eye on it. Cause you, like pasta, you gotta rescue it before it's done. Right? right. So rescue it when it still has a little crunch to it, drain the water, put the rice back in the pot with no water, put it on the lid and leave it off the heat for 10 minutes. And it'll just, the residual water that's still in there will steam yeah. the rice. And that was another test kitchen thing, I think. Or maybe uh, Saver, Saver magazine? I don't know. Um, but yeah, rice is another nemesis for like so many cooks, man. It's Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when you burn rice, it smells like <laughs> a cigarette ashes. Yep, yep. Like, you know, like our, old, our old other home, I burned rice one time because I got sidetracked with something. Man, I mean, we thought that we were going to have to call insurance to like, you know, replace stuff because smoke damage or whatever. Oh, man. And and do do you still have that pot or was that a goner? Oh, no, 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 no. No, that pot, all of my old cookware I got rid of once once Christmas. I got the new. But I did have, I I took it outside and I scraped it and tried to get, just before I did the vinegar. This is like probably seven years ago. Right. Uh, But. Yeah, it was it was it was bad. Uh, <laughs> you get distracted, you know, making something some, something like making ruse and risotto. Yep. Like you cannot leave that station. You have to stay right. Fish. Yep. Uh, you have like we can't even cook fish here because my kids are allergic, mm. uh, and we can't and we can't cook with any nuts or, you know, so fish and nuts are like out of the question for diet stuff here i want to make fish i love making fish yeah like my favorite fish is um uh um i almost said mahi mahi but it's not it's uh chilean sea bass oh yeah yeah like not i'm talking about like the one that like filet mignons right (laughs) (laughs) that big two inch thick yeah yeah, man buttery and it's like it's hard it's almost hard to overcook that in a way because it's so rich yeah but this is another thing you learn like as you get some reps as you get more experience um you you know like what you can leave alone and what you have to pay attention to and that'll that'll factor into your flow like okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna be chained to the stove for 10 minutes to make this thing so i'm gonna get all this shit done first that can hang out yeah What do you feel in your life or in, in your experience of these things? Like, what are some of the parallels between the world of cooking and food and the world of drumming and music? Oh, man, that's such an easy one for me, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all creative. It's all, it's all creative. It's all sub- subject to the eater, the listener. Mm-hmm. It's all preference. Um, there is no good or bad because i mean mcdonald's still is in business and i don't care for their food but they they they're still in business right you know and 
many other home cooks eat their food. Mm-hmm. I would necessarily. So it's just about preference um, and repetition on practicing th- certain things. Um, it's it's like the more you get into the nuances of certain cuisines, like I would consider like your Gordon Ramsay's, your Emeralds, your, um, you know, uh, what's my man, Farid, um, what's his name, Farid Zakaria? Uh, oh, no, not Farid Zakaria. Not, he's not on Farid. CNN. Uh, yeah, that's, um, Farid, um, you know who I'm talking about. I don't. Uh, he's, he's on, uh, he's on, Chopped sometimes. He's one of the judges on Chopped. Yeah. I'll find, I'll find out who he is. Um, but like certain guys like that, your Alton Browns, to me are like the jazz musician that has all of these. They're not like, they're not like your, say, your Rachel Ray or your, um, what's my barbecue guy, Neely's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like that is kind of like your meat and potato type of player. Right. You know what I mean? And that's just going to lock it in and it's going to be good. You know what I mean? Yeah. The sauce is great on that, on those ribs, you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, like you have these other ones, these other cooks, musicians that make you lean in a little more. They, ex- they expand your taste buds a little more. Like if you've never had escargot, um, because of what it is, you may not want to eat it because it's a snail. I mean, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly and, what you mean because there are certain drummers, certain musicians that like you you hear them play or you see them and you're like, I didn't know music could do that. I didn't know the drums could do that. Right. And then right, you, right. you taste food from certain chefs. You're like, shit, I didn't know food could do this. <laughs> exactly. You know, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Yeah. You know, he's a, and it's like, geez, you know. So like, you, you get somebody like a Chris Dave, uh, who definitely has a specific thing, but the stuff that he does is like, I didn't know you can make acoustic drums sound like program, you know, samples. Right. Real right. time. You know what I mean? Or you have like, you know, your Steve Gads, um, who has gone across the gamut of genres. Vinnie Colaiuta, Dennis Chambers, you mm-hmm. know, type of guys. Chris Coleman, you know. Um, those are like your chefs to me, like top tier chefs in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah. If you need, if you need swing, if you need groove, if you need complicated, they can give you all of that because they have the technique needed to do that. There are certain cooks that that are bakers and not savory cooks. Right. And vice versa. Right. You know, it's like you have certain musicians, even in a jazz world, you got certain. Um, musicians who just don't do ballads, they, they, they can't play soft. They, they like to, they want to bash. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's their thing. And in all those yeah. worlds, there's like, you, you don't, you don't have to go to the nth degree um, no. to, to be fulfilled and to get good results. Like a lot of people can lay down a really great rock beat. Absolutely. You know, and it's solid. Yeah. And a lot of times that's all you need. Like if you got to feed yourself and another person or two, like, you can lay down a really solid rock beat and everybody's going to be happy. Um, yeah, you can lay down that hamburger steak. <laughs> yeah, that steak as long steak. as you do it right, as long as you know the little things to make it awesome, anything can be awesome and it's it's not that time-consuming, it's not that hard, and it's certainly less expensive. Um, What's my name? Jacques 
uh, Jacques Pepin. Jacques Pepin. So I was watching him make two days ago. I was looking up like trying to make omelets differently because mm-hmm. the way I've always seen omelets being made is usually the way you see it at hotels or wherever. Yeah, well, not not there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but when you watch them make it at like ready to order, uh, ready, uh, whatever it is, um, the station, the omelet, omelet station. station. Yeah, and they, you know they usually do the thing where they tilt the pan, pull the egg back, and just keep pushing everything towards the center of the pan so that the rest of the runny yolk goes to the outer edge, and you just keep doing that, and then you flip it, and the thing with that is more gelatinous, is more like some people brown it. Mm-hmm. I don't air for the browning of the egg uh, personally but Jacques made two French styles of uh, uh, or two French omelets one that was country style and one that was traditional I guess or whatever you call it so the country style like I said you pull it's not a lot of stirring um, by the way backing up when you beat the eggs you make sure you have them beat like I mean like use that left hand or your right hand <laughs> You know your 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 ride symbol because you literally you're going to be playing sixteenth notes back and forth with a whisk or a fork. Yeah, and, like Gadsden. Yeah, up, man, you know, or like Nate Smith. You know, right, right. Like, uh, and 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 you lift the fork up with the egg in it, and you're looking for those clear pieces that turn white in the skillet, and you don't mm. you want those clear pieces to be incorporated into the yolk well. Yeah. So when you pour it in the skillet and, and you start to like pull all the egg into the center and let it run and you flip it. You know, that's one, one way of making the omelet. The other way, the way Jacques did it was, um, he said, you, you scramble it. Once you put it in the skillet, you start scrambling immediately mm. and move the egg immediately. Um, and then press and, and, and let it kind of like, cover the bottom and then you start to lightly like just kind of roll it with the fork or a spatula or whatever roll it i don't like my eggs running most of the time mm-hmm. today i made the omelet this way and i was like okay i can do this it's a little runny but i can i can i can do this but it makes the egg it gives you that really yellow pale yellow smooth texture yeah. when you do it that way where you scramble it but he was using the damn fork in his skin <laughs> I know, and i was you could hear it scraping and i was like okay it's Jacques. i know he has a reason for doing this and i need to research why or what cookware he's using to be able to do that because i've never seen a chef do that and it was the most amazing thing right like and a shocking amazing thing <laughs> well he might have been i mean he probably wasn't using a non-stick pan um no it was non-stick it was that it was black not- is that black pudding? Man, are you sure it wasn't carbon steel? Like that black steel? It may have been carbon steel. Yeah, Let's I got say it was. I got some of those carbon steel pans, man. They're and like like uh, cast iron, they require a little bit more maintenance and and they're a little temperamental. But man, they're fun. They're yeah. <laughs> the yeah, results yeah, yeah. are great. And you mentioned like you know the 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 parallels between our world and and the cooking world and and. Um, it, absolutely, it's like this combination of technique and creativity um, that we're uh, that we're predisposed to anyway. And um, the 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 other thing that I love about it is that um, you know I've, I've mentioned 
Anthony Bourdain many, many yeah. times before because he's just one of the figures that like got me more into food and more into cooking. And he Inside talked about – I almost met him once. Did you really? I was in New York. I saw York. him speak once, but I never met him. I like was literally going – I was in New York meeting, a, meeting up with a friend of mine and – he said, yeah, and it was like, it was downtown somewhere, uh, and I was like walking out of this big, big building, and Anthony, like, as he's getting closer to me, I'm like, man, it looks like Anthony Bourdain. We walked, literally almost rubbed shoulders by each other, and I, I, could, I didn't have it in me to, like, say something. I was just, like, so, one of the first times I've ever been, like, shocked, right, starstruck. Right, And this was, like, probably eight years ago, so I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. man, I would have loved to have meet, met him. Um, but he, you know, in his book, um, kitchen confidential and in his, you know, subsequent output, um, he talked about how like the world of cooking and the world of professional kitchens is like this giant pirate ship full of derelicts and weirdos who, (laughs) who don't fit into regular society, who haven't developed any other like professional or maybe even social skills to function in a normal job. And I, I, I feel that's how we are. Like we found this thing and, and we dove into it and, and now we're in this different world from, from most people. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all creative. We're all temperamental in one way or another. We're prone to depression and addiction and outbursts and narcissism and all this shit. And, and, um, it's the same in the cooking world. Like we work while most of the rest of society plays, um, And so any drummer out there who uh, is thinking about getting into cooking, like what got you here as a drummer will serve you as a cook, like that kind of contrarian, I don't want to do the normal shit uh, attitude. And like, like we said, the combination of art and craft, the combination of creativity and technique, um, that's, that's what cooking is made of. And I find it just as rewarding, sometimes more rewarding <laughs> than, Absolutely. than playing music. Like, well, with the, the thing, when we were talking about parallels of cooking and, and playing music, one of the things with cooking that usurps music is everybody needs to eat. Yep. So, and yeah, if something is too salty, it's just too salty, <laughs> you know, uh, bad timing can be kind of correct it <laughs> yeah um, and not everybody but, perceives it like most people nope. can't tell when a singer is out of tune you know most but everybody can tell if their are. shit is too salty most drummers can't tell when they run. <laughs> so yeah i mean everybody has to eat and um so but the reward like you said the reward is incredible and it's competitive within your own self yeah it's competitive because you want to see if a you can make it exactly the same or make it better, right? Um, every single time. So I would definitely say if you are going to go down this rabbit hole, decide right now, which I should have decided because this this applies to music as well. Decide right now if you're going to be the person that's going to be consistently creative or consistent. Mm. Like, you know, <laughs> right. um, because if you want to be consistently creative, that's a worthy endeavor, but the results are going to be mixed. Yes. And so it's hard to market something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, jazz is so hard to market as yeah. well, because yeah. you're going to get something different all the time, which for me is like, 
why do I want to hear the same thing again? <laughs> right, right. And then you go to, and it, I would love it if I went to a restaurant and got, you know, say varying res- recipes, menu items. Mm-hmm. Like every day I went, it was a new thing on the menu. So it was like going to somebody's house almost. Like, I don't know what I'm cooking today. I'm going to do, I'm going to try this, you know. Right. And versus like some people who just want to hear certain artists, I want to just like the record. Play every the hits. Single time. Play the hits. Yep. And it's like, that's cool too. You know, mm-hmm. it's easier to market that too, which is why a lot of people that do that end up having a lot of success. Right. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, there is definitely those people that want the consistency, get their inspiration from those who try new shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and like drumming and music, if you, if you develop consistency in your technique, that will serve your creativity. Big time. The principle is exactly, the principles are exactly the same. Yeah. Um, you know, rhythm in kitchen. Like I've played around with like, what should I call my food thing or whatever? Like I, I came up with this thing a while ago with my initials MF. Uh-huh. So it was going to be called the MF time, T-H-Y-M-E. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. And, uh, or like, you know, rhythm kitchen or something like that. Um, Cause Jamie, Jamie Oliver is a drummer. That's right. Um, yeah. He's a he's drummer. A, right? He's a great chef, man. He's I love I love chefs like that who who just make really good food so accessible. Cuz if you get in if you get in deep, you can get into some advanced techniques and some kind of exotic ingredients, but Jamie Oliver is one of those chefs who just like brings it down to ground level and exactly what we were talking about, like here's how you make the basic shit delicious. Yes. Um, First time I made Brazilian feijoada was from Tyler Florence's recipe when he had his show back in the day. And Brazilian feijoada is like, I've only made it once. I'll just put it to you that way. It's it's too time consuming for me. Oh, yeah. And it has like five meats, six. Yeah, so this is like a giant uh, stew of like black beans and all different kinds of meats. And and, yeah. I want to make that. My Brazilian friend, I'm sure, can give me the recipe that his mom makes. I haven't gotten it yet, but I need I need so that. Good. What is okay? So we'll go out on this. Like, sure. what is? Give me give me the dish that you love making the most that you can nail every single time, and give me the dish that is your white whale. That it's like, <laughs> it's like, man, I don't know. This time it's gonna <laughs> like your nemesis. All right, so I'm going to say probably a spatchcock chicken, like mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Um, and my, my seasonings vary, but most of the time is usually always going to be olive oil um, or ghee, mm-hmm. <laughs> salt, pepper, um, and smoked paprika. And maybe like onion and garlic powder. Um, I think that's probably one that I can do all the time. And yeah. then the sides of that, like um, the stream beans from that photo with the steak. Uh-huh. And then um, eat either the homemade french fries with air fryer believe mm-hmm. it or not yeah uh, using that dicer and coating the wings with 
olive oil or grapeseed oil, put them in there and let them crisp up and then hit it with some salt afterwards. Um, I think the, I think that dish I can probably nail yeah. all the time. My white whale would probably be, and I haven't made, I shouldn't say it's a white whale if I've, ma- I've never made it. <laughs> I was going to say either beef tips or um, um, damn, what's the name of that? Not pot roast. Um, it's made of a pot roast. It's what makes a pot roast. Uh, primer. Oh, primer. primer. <laughs> yeah, man. Best primer I've ever had. Like, I've been nervous to make it because the first time I had it, it was so damn good. It was, right. in, it was in Portland at this restaurant called Portland Prime. I'm Portland over there. Um, <laughs> Portland's that way. <laughs> Portland, right. Um, but it was at Portland Prime, and, and I remember it, man, like so vividly because that particular meal it had these um, these potatoes that was in that was squeezed out of a a, a bag like um, we call it an icing bag or something. Right, right. And there was um, was it not Brussels sprouts? I think it was like asparagus and this prime rib, and then I had a, a creme brulee for dessert, which was my one dessert that I can make. Oh, nice. Um, but. The prime rib, the crust. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A big piece of meat like that, like learning how to do that properly takes practice. It takes research. It takes time. It takes reps. Uh, Um, Yeah. A big hunk of meat like that is just one of the most beautiful things, um, but not necessarily the the easiest thing to get into. Um, It's a searing process of it, like getting the – fat skin part like rendering all the fat and like and like scoring it so that yep. you know proper resting yeah. <laughs> man. the crunch on the skin the salt the rosemary the garlic the pepper and the meat the meat was like pink it was like oh jesus was so perfect so, so that would be my one for me these these two things are like half half of my food story is italian cuz i'm half italian but the other half is new mexican cuz i grew up in santa fe new mexico so my like my go to just automatic love it every time awesome every time is uh pozole uh-huh have you had that i haven't had that no it, do you know what it is no it's um it's a stew with uh white hominy corn and pork and oh. e- either red or green chili. Yeah, um, and you can, red. you can add other stuff to it, but that's, that's the basics. So like you, you get like a pork shoulder or, um, like a ham steak, uh, mm. and you know, caramelize that, render all that fat down, saute a bunch of onions, dump that corn in there. It's all dried. Um, <laughs> and you just stew it for like hours in a, in a Dutch oven and the pork falls apart and the corn puffs up and the bones in the pork and the fat in the pork create like basically stock, um, red, you know, red chili or green chili. Um, that's, I make that like once a month, we have care packages sent to us from our family in New Mexico full (laughs) of chili and pozole and and whatever else. Um, so that's my, that's my automatic, my nemesis, my, my fucking just, just (laughs) is, uh, uh, cacio e pepe. Which had that. that's that's the quintessential Roman pasta dish. It's four ingredients: it's spaghetti, pecorino romano, black pepper, 
and some kind of fat. You can do olive oil and or butter, but the pasta water is paramount. And I have, I have made it sing a couple times. I have just like been so damn pleased with myself. And then I've, I've trashed it a number of times because it's so like the timing of it and the temperature of it. If you, if you put the cheese in when stuff is too hot, it just seizes up and becomes clumpy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, but if you get it right, if you get the right ratio of the pasta water and the temperature and the cheese, it becomes just like silky creamy. It's, it's Roman Mac and cheese. It's one of the most transcendent, simple, uh, dishes. And, um, I make it quite often and, and I think I got like a a 50, 50, uh, (laughs) success rate going on. It's funny that you mentioned that type of pasta. I made Alfredo, fresh Alfredo the other day. Um, and I, I forgot, and I forgot to post it. Um, but you know, making a bechamel, Mm-hmm. pretty much or like the butter the flour and then adding the i added i believe part milk and part heavy cream and a little bit of nutmeg and fresh parmesan mm-hmm. uh, on a microplane and um and then yeah took the pasta you know mixed that together you got and and like even with that, and ki- and kept that pasta water, yeah, because it, it can get really sticky and thick, and so you just keep adding that to kind of thin it out a little bit. Yep. Um, the other day, I, I posted a picture of this. Was it yesterday? The day before the lentils. Oh yeah, you got to send me that recipe, man. Dude, that it's all like that was all about the spices. Like that looks garam- so good. Garam masala, curry, um, turmeric, paprika, smoked turkey neck. Oof. Onion, onion, carrots, celery, um, and I just like I went it because we had like I have this jar of lentils sitting in there, and I'm like, you know, I, it's been in here since we moved in. <laughs> right, right. I never used it because I never knew if anybody else would eat it. Right. This and could I'm feed like, us for like, a week. Like, it's <laughs> two dollars worth of lentils, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I just cooked it, man. Cooked it some stock and in a Dutch oven, and just let it finish in the oven at 350. And when it was still wet enough, because I don't like them dry or or whatever, uh, I like them definitely stewed. Yeah, it was really good. I want to do that. I, it was my time making it like that, and so I. I want to do that. So on the pasta tip, have you have you ever made carbonara? No. Okay. I uh, here's here's what I want to do. Like, so you've made Alfredo. I've made yeah. cacio e pepe. And so neither one of us have made carbonara and that involves like the egg yolk and you got to combine it in there without scrambling it. And like, that's, you know, so I, I think, I think we should both over the next week or two try to make a carbonara and we'll compare notes. I'm cool with that. Like, I will say this though. The reason I was saying about like making the omelets earlier, runny yolk eggs, for some reason I have tried seven times in my life to like runny yolk eggs <laughs> seven times like like especially when they have like the eggs benedict or whatever over like crab and asparagus and all, uh, or not eggs benedict what's it called um crab florentine oh yeah florentine uh, or yeah no, you're talking about a benedict with like a poached benedict. egg yeah yeah man i swear to you i want to like a runny yolk egg but something about it Sometimes will gag me. I don't know. Right. So <laughs> like, with with carbonara, it's like it's not really. 
What now? It's, I was going to say it's hot, so it should be Right, fun. right. And the, the egg yolk kind of just like, if you do it right, it becomes a cream sauce. Right. You know, right. it's it's not like cracking an egg over your pasta or whatever. It becomes yeah, exactly. it, it becomes almost like a hollandaise, you know. Okay. Well, you know, I'm totally game for that, man. I'll be I'll be researching. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> and like uh figuring out, all right. So, like I've seen it with bacon or pancetta. Yep. Uh with peas. Mm-hmm. Uh nobody nobody here but me and my mother-in-law likes peas cuz I'll make like I'll make Vietnamese pho uh or uh not sorry. Not pho. Uh, what is it? Shepherd's pie. Oh, oh. Well, those and are two I, very different things. Very different things. <laughs> I, I was wanting to mention something earlier about making pho in a pressure cooker. Oh, yeah. But that's dude, also I, another white whale of mine. I, I have I made some it. decent pho. I started, I started doing it recently, and I've had some success yeah. with pho. Yeah. But I made, the first time I made it, I didn't use beef stock. Mm. I got, like, bones, and I try – or at least I should say I try not to use beef stock. And – Bones, star anise, cardamom pods, all all of the cinnamon sticks and everything, and put it in the pressure cooker. Let it do its thing. Still ended up having to add some beef bouillon because um, I wasn't getting enough out of the bones that were in there. Right. And then the next time I made it, I used just store bought like kitchen uh, something brand beef stock, um, and I used that, and it, it was okay. It wasn't wasn't as good as i wanted it to be right. but the key about the first time i made it was i took those bones with the meat on it actually and i grilled them to get a smoky flavor yep then i pressure cooked it yeah yeah i think that's what they do they get like shit loads of bones and they roast them they blast them in an oven um, yeah put it on the grill a different thing grill yeah then you get some smokiness and yeah man, yeah, man. whoo yeah, the grill and the smoking is like a whole other episode for us. Yeah, um, man. But, uh, but man, thanks for thanks for doing this. This was a blast. I hope people dig it. If they don't, yeah. I, I'm sorry. This was just self indulgent for us. People are cooking. <laughs> I think people are cooking more during COVID. Um, I hope they are, and and uh, you know, I hope this gets uh, a few more people over the over the hump of uh, yeah. of cooking. Thank you, man. Right on. Be well. Keep posting those pics. Oh. And, uh, I will. and we'll be, I'm, I'm sure we'll be firing off, uh, texts and links and pics and all kinds of shit to each other now. Yep. Right yep. on. I'm about to do to you now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm starving now. I got to go eat lunch. I am too. <laughs> all right. Let's do it. More lentils. <laughs> Leftovers. Yeah. Thanks for talking, man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you. Thanks to Marcus for that talk. Hope you dug that. Hope you'll find that useful and inspirational. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll see links to a few of the resources we mentioned. I checked out that Paprika 3 app that Marcus recommended. It is super helpful and cool for meal planning and recipe organizing. There's a link to the Ruleman's 20 book I mentioned for those of you who are maybe a little more advanced. And uh, there's also a link for Smitten Kitchen, which I uh, neglected to mention in our conversation. But Smitten Kitchen is one of my favorite resources for all kinds of different recipes Uh, most of which are pretty easy and all of which are really delicious. So be sure and check that out. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Canadian drummer Neil LaFortune, who, among other things, hosts the Gretsch Afternoon Drum Break. Hope you check that out. And until then, stay safe, do some good cooking, share the food with the people you love, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.